Hello, everyone. This is Ancient Wisdom for Modern Seekers, our monthly class. And today, my very special special guest is Swami Satyamayananda Ji. This guy is brilliant. Love him so much. And our topic today is memory. And Swami Ji actually wrote a book on memory. And I forget the title. <laughs> You probably have a lot. Encountering the memory self. And you know what? I did buy this book and I did read this book. I just don't remember where I put it. <laughs> so I don't know if it helped improve my memory or what, but it's somewhere in this house. But when you first started the Vedanta Society, I'm like, oh, I want to get to know him. I'll read his book. So memory, Swami, is something we all have. We all deal with, right? How is memory important for our spiritual life, for our spiritual practice? Yes. Uh, no. I, when I first met my guru, I was so thrilled. And later on, I came to know how great memory he had. He was, even in his 90s and mid-90s, full of old memories and what things he had studied over the years. And I was so embarrassed. We were also young and our memories were failing. You also find Sri Ramakrishna was called something called the Shruti Dhar, one who can remember even when something has been said once. Holy Mother was like that. Swami Vivekananda's mother was like that. Swami Vivekananda himself was. He says, I need to hear it two times. Hmm. His mother and his grandmother were, were exceptional. They need, needed to hear it just once. Mm. So, memory. So, what exactly is this memory? Especially in spiritual life, the entire scriptures of the this like you no know, Vedanta is called Shruti and Smriti. Shruti is what you have heard. Smriti is what you have remembered. Because this was actually an old oral tradition. And it was not just for a few generations. It was for generations after generations. It went on for thousands of years. A major part of a spiritual aspirant's life was dedicated to memorizing this text and understanding them. And not only the aspirant, in fact, a large chunk of society was involved in memorization. And even when the written, you can say, texts were available, they never depended on that because they think the written word is liable for error. But 
memory is dependable. So this memory is a huge storehouse that we have. There is something called in spiritual life, in Vedanta, the inner instrument. The inner instrument is mind, intellect, the sense of the self, and memory. These four form what is called the inner instrument. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. Is that the same as the subtle body? Like what's the difference between that and the subtle body? The, this is one component of a subtle body. Okay. The, the subtle body has actually 19 components. Oh, wow. Yeah. So these make up the four components of the subtle body. Then we have the five sensory organs, the five motor organs, the five pranas. Okay. 15. The subtle counterparts make up the subtle body. Okay, got it. So this mind, what we call it mind in Vedanta is deliberative. When it sees an object, it's not sure. It is something called sankalpa and vikalpa. That is, uh, is it this? Is it that? Then the intellect, buddhi, comes in and says, this is a tree. Okay. Now, then the sense of the self comes in. I see the tree. And then the memory comes in. Yes, I remember seeing this tree. I have seen many trees. So this, this is the four functions or the four components of the inner instrument. Now, there's a huge storage in the subconscious mind of everything that we have said and done and thought. This is called the chitta. It's huge. There are certain things, like Swami Vivekananda calls it pigeonholing. I see something, and I that what I see is cognized by remembering what I had already seen. So it recognition is recognition. I cognize it again. And memory plays an important role here. Now, in many cases, we're saying these individual memories are pigeonholed. Like for a red kind of glass, I've got a separate pigeonhole. For a porcelain glass, I've got a separate. I've got separate pigeonhole for computers or whatever, whatever. So it's pigeonholing. These are the small niches inside. But they are not, you can say, in a separate state. They are all connected. Memory forms a vast network, a vast, vast, vast network. One wave in the mind, when, you, when I see something, there is something called a wave in my mind. It's a slight small whirlpool in the mind. And that 
like I throw a stone or a pebble in a lake, which surface is very calm. So what happens is when the pebble plops in the water, it raises a small wave and then there's a ripple. And this ripple goes outwards towards the bank, hits the bank and comes back in. Now imagine if you have many pebbles coming in. So there are a series of these waves that are intersecting. This is the surface of the mind. And every quivering surface of the lake leaves an impression in the mind. This is what is called a samskara. Impression. Now, what happens is in most religious traditions, we are asked to counter these samskaras, old impressions, with new impressions. Because old memories have to be held down by memories only. So when we are meditating on God, taking his name, chanting, what happens is we are now raising new waves in the mind which are forming samskaras of memories. And it takes a long time for this spiritual practice because the, the amount of impressions in the mind are numerous. So there are some impressions which are, as you called, related to the world. They are unspiritual. These are the ones which have to be countered. And as you keep on countering them over, you are building a spiritual mind. Okay, this I need to ask a question here. Yeah. So, so, you know, in modern science, we have short-term memory and we have long-term memory. So how do we know where things are getting stored? Like, for example, I'm taking this Vedanta class. I yes. want to remember what you're teaching me. Okay. How am I going to, is it, because I've heard it before, is it going to be termed sent to long-term memory? How long does long-term memory take? Why do I forget things from class? Like, do I need to 100% understand it to remember yeah. it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, there is something called short-term and long-term. These are the old terms. Now, what is called is implicit memory and explicit memory. Oh, wow. Okay, tell yeah. me about that because yeah. that's the first time I heard this one. Yeah. So when an impression comes in, it is held for about seven seconds in explicit memory or short-term memory. Okay. Then that impression, if it is not relevant enough, there is a slow fading away. Like, I need to memorize a phone number immediately. 
and I memorize it. And then after a few seconds, it vanishes. But if that phone number is important to me, I'll remember it. That is taken to the long-term memory, okay. implicit memory. Okay. Now, there's another storage called a semantic memory. And there is also something, we might lose a memory because of Alzheimer's or dementia. So semantic memory is generally very robust. But even that is found to fail. Mm -hmm. Then there is something called a rote memory also. Now, when I want to understand or to remember a particular thing, what, you know, if there is an emotional touch, I remember it. Mm. And now this emotional touch, this limbic, whole limbic system contains what is the most important part of the limbic system is the hypothalamus or what we have something called hippocampus. The hippocampus is like, it's like a small seahorse shaped node in the center of the brain. It is responsible for memory. And also to give it an emotional tinge to it. So once a thing is brought into long-term memory, Swami Vivekananda gives an example. When you go to a seashore, which you are nearby, and you hear the sound of the waves, each wave actually is made up of hundreds and hundreds of smaller waves. So memories, long-term memories are like that. Something evokes memories and a whole train of these memories come. Yes, it's a huge train of memories that come. And sometimes you're lost, you're, you're daydream, as they say. So this, uh, let's take the, the words that you, short term and long term. So if the information that has come in is useful, it goes into long term memory. When a neuron fires, okay, a neuron, see, there are about 80 billion neurons in the brain. And no two neurons are similar. They are all different. Oh, yeah. When one neuron fires, what it fires is neurotransmitters. The other neuron absorbs that and refires. So what happens is there's a cascade of chemicals in a particular section of the brain. That cascade of neurotransmitters then forms a pattern. If you're used to drinking tea every day at four, okay, that habit itself is nothing but a cascade of neurochemicals into a pattern. That pattern
pattern keeps on repeating itself and then it gets reinforced. And the more it gets reinforced, the more deeper it is stuck in the brain. Okay, so that's like really good when it comes to spiritual practice, right? Oh, yeah. You want yeah. that to happen. Yeah. That's really yeah. good. Exactly. But then what about what about if there's some trauma or something we don't want to remember and it keeps coming up in our memory and we can't forget it? I mean, yes. how do you get rid of that? Oh, thank God you asked me this question. Trauma also is nothing but old memories. Now, when you talk about memory, in fact, Plato, in his writings, also speak of anamnesis, that is amnesia. Forgetting also is a part of this memory structures. The brain lets go of certain things that are useless. You've just moved on. But certain memories, traumatic memories, don't go away. Why? Because they have not been resolved. Right. And they have that emotion attached oh, yeah. to it. So they oh, yeah. get stuck in that oh, long yeah. term. Yeah. yeah. So what happens is in all post-traumatic stress disorders, the therapist will ask you to recount that. Face those memories. And if you don't face it now, it's going to grow and grow and grow and grow. So that's the reason why in a kind of counseling or a talk session, the person should just keep on talking about it. Now, in many cases, just counseling does not do. You need to change the structure of that old neuronal structure. So this is done by adding some extra chemicals as psychiatric drugs. <clears throat> so that breaks the chain. When you have these old trauma, what happens is you have actually over and over and over recounted them to yourself and they have become very strong. They have started off Strong, of course, and they become stronger and stronger and stronger. Every second thing evokes that trauma. And that trauma has a direct influence on the nervous system. And the nervous system has a direct effect on the body. So whenever you are in a post-traumatic stress disorder mode, your body freezes or it's in stress. And it is like either, you know, fight or flight mode. It's constantly stressed. So this is, in many cases, it has been found that trauma, traumatic memories are also associated with false memories. False oh. memory. Oh, yes. How does that happen? Yes. Like, suppose I was walking in the middle of the night alone and then a person comes and tries to attack me from behind. Okay, that was traumatic. I flee and I manage to escape with great difficulty. And now when I try to recall those, my God, the memory of a 
car starting is also put inside the memory of a dog howling somewhere is also put inside you know what happens i am now creating and recreating those traumatic experiences with other memories mm. and so it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger then i'll say well it was 2 o'clock in the morning no not it's not 2 o'clock no from 3 o'clock and that person was wearing a dark hooded you can say jacket well it wasn't a dark hooded maybe it was something some other color but you are not sure and so you start imagining so false memories also play an important part in traumatic experiences mm-hmm. and they become power and powerful another thing is this also tells us that no memory impression is static it's not like a fossil inside we think all memories are like you know old fossils petrified things lying there in the mind no it's very dynamic who does that there is the power of subconsciousness suppose i am now dreaming that i'm sitting down in a car going to santa barbara and as i'm dreaming i look around and see there's a tiger sitting beside me and it's perfectly i'm talking to the tiger talk, tiger is talking to me something like that i had a memory of going to santa barbara in a car sitting down but somebody or something has scrambled all the memories there and put a tiger or a elephant or something and my subconscious mind sees nothing incongruous so there is what is say the whole uh, you can say bed of subconsciousness is very fluid that is the reason why in spiritual practice it is ex- extremely important to first confront old memories especially mm-hmm. traumatic memories don't run away and when those mem- old memories come good or bad use the power of the mantra to neutralize them because the mantra itself has power and the mind also has a power so you combine both the mental powers and the powers of the mantra and those things become neutralized how do you know they are neutralized those old impressions when an old traumatic experience arises and you don't kind of wince or there's no kind of you know oh no yeah. that cringe factor isn't there yeah you know, emotion isn't as attached exactly so that that uh, impression or memory has that venom leaked out leaked out so you can see it just as a neutral person Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because uh, I've taught meditation for many years and I, it is very common when people are just learning how to meditate oh, that yeah. those old memories bubble up 
and it scares some people. And then they say, Oh, I don't like meditation, you know? And I, I keep trying to tell them just be gentle with yourself and ease through it. Cause it's really good for you. It's like a cleansing. Yeah. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. That that's exactly important. The mantra or meditation, uh, those impressions go down and they churn the mind. And the very fact that these old memories are coming out, they are coming out to be thrown out, to be neutralized. Mm -hmm. So you should go through this process. In fact, every person goes through this process. If the person does not go through the process, that person is not progressing in spiritual life. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this whole subconscious mind is churned and things come up. And it is in a way a self-discovery of your old self. And it's very important because you have a continuous sense of self. It's called the autobiographical self. I was this, I am this, I am that, I saw this, I like this. The continuous stream of consciousness. So if you don't counter it, you're going to be left with something like, I really don't know myself. And if I don't really know myself in all the nuances, I will not be able to transcend myself. Mm. So as you lay down layer after layer after layer of spiritual memories, uh, you know, they say that Initially, don't barge in. Suppose I go in a place where there's, there's a dog. The dog is sleeping. Okay, what I do is I gingerly tiptoe around the dog and go. I don't need to waken the dog because the dog is going to start barking and I'll get caught. So let those some of the sleeping memories, let them sleep. The memories in the mind form four classes. One is some memories are do called dormant. They are sleeping. Mm -hmm. There are some memories which are attenuated. It is called tanu, attenuated. There are some memories which are expanded. These are the difficult ones. And there are some memories which are vichinna. That is, they have been kind of, uh, as you say, no? they have gone through a salad cutter. Mm. They have churned. So, those memories, like the four, the expanded, the shredded, the attenuated, and the dormant. Okay. Yeah. So these expanded memories first have to be taken care of by count, being countered by new impressions. And as these impressions keep on growing, 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 these are the yoga impressions. Then what happens once you have established a level of stability, then nothing can drop you down. And even if you, or for a moment, laid, waylaid out or distracted, you come back again. It's like those gravity toys. You know? Yeah, you you throw them all around and they land on the, on the same spot and the same position. Mm -hmm. 
mind will come back to the spiritual impression. It is this mind which you are now converting. The old memories are now being converted into spiritual memories. The harmful memories are first countered and kept sub submitted down. And as you practice yoga, those memories, old memories, the unspiritual memories become disabled and then they are burned. Because all these memories are considered like seeds, you know. Like there are those, you know, in the from the pyramids, five, six thousand year old seeds were brought out and they were germinated again in favorable condition. Mm -hmm. So some memories are like those seeds. Some memories are kind of just burnt, disabled. They will not fructify. They are just memories. Okay. And so what happens is you have now countered all your trauma, all your, you can say, false memories and everything. You can, there's a clarity that comes to your life, in your mind, in your wisdom. It's important to know that wisdom already exists inside. The whole process of yoga is to quell the waves in the mind. All waves in the mind. The yoga is chitra vritti quell. So the only way to quell is constantly countering the old memories and quelling yeah. them. Okay, so how does this relate to karma? For example, some of our past experiences are karmic, right? It happened to us because of some karma. And even in the future, karma is going to come in. So is it beneficial for our karma to quell those memories? Or as long as we've learned from them? Or how does that work? Yeah, you know, in modern psychology, they come down to something called the samskaras, impressions, which is called engrams. They, these impressions are in the mind, you know, the brain. But in uh, Vedanta, they say the opposite side of every samskara impression is karma. So when you do anything, imagine, visualize, think, speak, whatever you have done leaves a mark. And these marks, then they become, as they say, karma. They coalesce, like birds of a feather flock together. You know? So you have similar impressions of that particular class coming and coalescing. That becomes karma. So without this karma, actually this our whole life is actually built on karma. We are building ourselves through memories, through impressions or through karma. And like we can build, we can rebuild also. We can take out certain parts. Now certain karmas, there are two types of karmas that have been enumerated. One is the knowledge impressions, knowledge karma, like knowledge of a computer and knowledge of the stars and knowledge of physics and knowledge of, you can say, whatever. All types of 
impressions, they are classed as knowledge impressions. These do not bind. They actually enrich you. But there are the other class of, you can say, impressions called the karma impressions. Now, these are the binding ones. Now, suppose I say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know that this, this book is mine. The moment I say, this book is mine, you're caught. You have created a fresh karma. You could have just said, oh, I read this book and it was wonderful. Oh, I learned a lot of things. That is not binding. Knowledge actually frees you. But the moment you say, this is my book, there you're caught. So here we have, so these becomes karma and this will have to be worked out. Now, how much karma? There are plenty of karma. Holy Mother says that Japa counters the old karmas. So you are making new karmas, new memories, and that is countering the old karmas. He's saying, where you're supposed to get a wound as you can say wide as a plowshare, you will get a pinprick <laughs> there. <laughs> so from there itself, you can understand that one set of karma can counteract the other set of karmas. Okay. Yes. Um, I have a question. Can you just explain what karma means? Like in from everything, the yeah, everything that you you do. It comes from the word kri, to do. Everything that you say, think, talk, imagine, everything leaves an impression in the mind. Memory. And this memories, when they are become crystallized, become karma. There are certain karmas that are subconscious. You are breathing. That is also karma. But this is done subconsciously. So these subconscious karmas do not bind you. Only consciously done karmas form, as it were, the binding links. So your embodiment, in fact, the whole of this reincarnation business is based on Karma, memories, your old memories. Holy Mother says, yeah, even if you have a, Sri Ramakrishna also, even if you have a desire to eat a sweet, you will have to be born. Uh -oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> I just had a lot of pie for Thanksgiving. Oh. <laughs> I hope you I can just what? buy myself some more lives because I don't yeah. want that. <laughs> So, you know, you won't believe it. Suppose I want to eat chocolates. Okay. The whole of nature will say, fine. I'll give you a chocolate and why. You want chocolate, I'll give it. Because that's my job. Nature's in my job. But wait, I have to create a universe first in order to supply you the chocolate. I'll have to have earth, water, fire, air, and space. Then I have to design trees 
and designing trees is not an easy thing. It has to evolve. The cocoa trees have to evolve from old, some plankton or something. And then I'll get cocoa and then there are other people to process that cocoa and then I'll get a chocolate. So hold on, nature says. I'll give you the chocolate, but I'll, let me create this universe. So we have actually created ourselves by our karma. Okay. And we can also make and remake our karma, us. The mind is malleable. But the person that does the karma, Vedanta says, you pay attention to that. Consciousness. Without a conscious agent, you will not be able to perform karma. So, go back and say, oh, not I, not I, thou, O oh Lord, you are the doer. Sri Ramakrishna says, God is a doer. This is knowledge. I am the doer. That is ignorance. So the more you let go of yourself. So how does it appear that you will be able to do all the things? Oh yeah. It's like a mosquito sitting on my arm. And I subconsciously go and squash it. It's just subconscious. I will do all my actions impelled by the higher desire to see God. All my actions will become kind of non-binding. I'm not going to curse all the mosquitoes in the world and I'm going to be glad that I killed one. Nothing. It's just natural. So this memory and from memories, these impressions, samskara from samskaras to what is called karma. And these are the deeper layers of the mind. If I have something that is unresolved, it will come out as traumatic. I need to look at it. I have a fresh look at it. Talk to somebody, try to visualize it, or if I'm not interested at all, take the whole thing and just dump it. How do I dump it? By meditation, by pranayama, by repetition of the mantra. That is just cutting at the roots of everything. This is how slowly we start pulling ourselves, holding ourselves. And secondly, what happens is when the karma picture comes in, now I am very careful and conscious that I will do my karma without harming anybody in thought, word, and deed. Mm -hmm. Because I know now I have repercussions. Mm -hmm. So I will look after everybody. I will be compassionate, kind. I will be charitable. I will be loving. That actually cuts the old karma. So I am consciously doing a karma. And because karma done, memory is done correctly with consciousness that God really is a doer will make me free from karma. Yeah, so it sounds like 
our memory is a good tool to use towards spiritual enlightenment. Yes. So explain this. So I'm, we're in this reading this book right now in our spiritual group. This one. I oh swear. yeah, wonderful. We love it. In this book, he says many times, "Memorize the Gita, memorize the Gita." Yeah. And I know that's a good thing. I've heard it from so many Sarvadevananda too, and that's why I came out with this so we can memorize the Gita. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Wonderful. You, Tell wonderful us question. why the why how what is the process why this is so good for us whether it's the Upanishads or whatever we're memorizing is that you know a prayer a poem whatever it is that helps our spirituality that's because these memories that you are now creating relate to reality to truth and these will be always stronger than other memories which are related to falsity, deception, and delusion, and unreality. So that's why they say that the impressions of reality have to be accumulated. So they will destroy all the other impressions related to unreality. The limitedness. So that's just made me think, okay, so it's really important, not just that we memorize, but what we memorize is important because there's a lot of songs out there. And like, I'm just thinking of this Bruno Mars song where he sings, I want to be a millionaire or a billionaire. So freaking bad, you know, so that we don't really want to memorize that. Right. We want to memorize more you know, know who you are kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. So all uh, memorization of the Gita, Upanishads, whatever, is related to the reality. And the reality always has to be transcendent and at the same time imminent. You know, your individual knowledge has to be related to the cosmic knowledge. Otherwise, it's not knowledge at all. The Upanishads give an example. If you know the nature of one lump of clay, you know all the clay in the universe. So every knowledge has two components. One, the lump of clay in my hand and the subsequent all clay in the universe can be known to this. This is the cosmic knowledge. Now, if I pay attention to this cosmic knowledge, most of the times, this knowledge, individual knowledge of whatever I do, will not bind me. Rather, the individual knowledge that I have <coughs> is nothing but an aspect of the cosmic knowledge. <coughs> Excuse me. When I recognize this, then the karma and all my selfishness and all my narrowness goes away. What am I? I'm just a kind of an insignificant speck of dust in this vast ocean of existence. Why should I bother about all these things? Let go. And when I let go, all the karma just falls away. Somewhere deep down, I have been holding it, but I'm not holding it. Yeah, your, your, the sense of identity has been built up on these memories. You see? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think the ego has some function oh, yeah. there, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, 
So that's the reason why the moment I let go, because I have understood the higher dimension of this knowledge of karma, oh, there I'm free. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think as we're growing up, we hear people tell us who we are, right? Yes. You're, yes. you're a good girl. You're a bad boy. You're a this, yeah, yeah. you're a that. You're the smart one. You're the pretty one. You're the this yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. You're the bad one. You know what I mean? And, and we identify with that. Yes. And so we, what you're saying is we need to kind of wash away all that through meditation right. and japa right. and understand right. who we really are. Yeah. And then we need to remember who we really are at all times and then our memory that yes. is um helps us to achieve that right there's a book you know by by the author is joe dispenza you've heard of him? yes oh yeah uh, breaking the habit of being yourself oh that's a great title oh yeah yeah and uh, this, this guy has really put in a lot of hard work he's a professional learner. so we have the habit of being our old selves. He says, you can break that habit and become your new self. And he has recommended nothing but meditation. And he has given a series of exercises in his book to break the habit of being yourself. And what I've been kind of uh, saying is nothing but this. You're laying down a spiritual memories that are going to counter your old Right. So it's, it's breaking the habit of being who you thought you were yes. and yes. now be making it the new habit, the new subconscious activity of being who you know you really are. Yes. It's like, no, like I'm a child of God. Oh, I'm a part of God. Oh, I'm a spark of the divine. Now my whole identity has changed. So that old ego, which held on to old memories, that is finding itself floundering. Hey, no, what happened? No. A new personality is being built. That I am a child of God. I am an aspect of God. I am a spark of God. I am the Brahman. I am the reality. Yes, there it is. You know, it, does this have uh, something to do with why when you go into monastic life that you get a new name? So it's almost like yes. the new person almost? Yes, yes. You know, Swami Vivekananda said the, the old man has to die. They said the old Christians used to say the old man has to die. So the old man has to die. This is the new man has to come in. So yes, this is the new. But then spiritual life is not only meant for monastic. That's a kind of a, a kind of a people who are, have that kind of personality they can get oriented to it. But spiritual life is actually meant for everyone because yeah. basically we are spiritual beings. Yes. We have forgotten this whole thing. And the moment we start remembering our spiritual, that's why in at the end of the Bhagavad Gita, the Arjuna says, my delusion has been destroyed. Yeah. I remember everything by your grace. Nashto Mohas Mithir Yes. And, he's, and he says, I'll do as you say. Exactly. Exactly. So this, these memories, this karma and all, they were just a kind of, you know, a cloud of forgetfulness that had come over us. Yeah. And now they are being dispelled. 
Yeah. It's interesting because we have so many, you know, transitions in our life. Yeah. You know, I think for women, a lot of us, when we get married, we change our name oh, yeah. or when we become, when we have children, now our name is mom, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, yeah. and we identify with that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and when we get initiated into spiritual life, you know, if we don't already have a spiritual name, like a lot of people already have, yeah. but, yeah. but yeah. I didn't have one. So I got a new name and that I really did oh. feel different. I really yeah. did. It was a beautiful experience. Oh, yeah. You have a beautiful name. Parama. You know, what happens is uh, all of us have a cluster of subpersonalities. Like you're a mom and you're a sister also. You're a daughter also. You were once a little girl also. And you're a friend also. You're mm -hmm. a wife. You're, all these personalities they are kind of held together by an overarching personality called a sense of I. Mm -hmm. So all you can function in all these areas very comfortably. Once you can understand this, then yes, what binds everything, the sense of I. Now, if I can transform this I, then the whole thing has become kind of open yeah. yes and then we feel not so limited by any yes. of our roles exactly. we have more freedom yes. knowing yes. that since we're not any of those roles that we play we're something exactly. beyond that yes. if one of the roles goes away we're not devastated we're just okay exactly you know what happens is uh, i will you also i always give the example see Everybody has an intuition about the next other, another person. Like, suppose I meet somebody. Now, there is something human in that person, but there is an aspect of transcendence also in that person. Suppose I see a little child playing a, a violin and she is playing so beautifully that talent or that activity itself transcends her from being a little small child into something. Okay? There is a transcendent aspect to us, all of us actually. And because of this, there is something called art. It celebrates the human, it celebrates the human beauty and body, etc. Yet there is something transcendent in it. It is not just mere mundane matter. There's some spirit there. And as you keep on progressing towards spiritual life, first you will understand this about yourself. There is a transcendent quality in me. And that you will be able to recognize others also. You will not see people as, oh, they're supposed to be exploited, supposed to be kicked around, supposed to be abused. No. There is an aspect that is greater and higher. Yes. This is actually the beginning of spiritual life. And, and it sounds to me like when we are experiencing that transcendent self, we're yeah. in our dharma. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There, that, exactly. And so people who are looking for their dharma, it's like, what do you do that makes you feel free? That makes yeah. you feel like... 
connected to God that makes you feel so comfortable and in the flow. Exactly. Exactly. This is what. So the more spiritual you become, the more you can say you start hastening your growth, your transcendent. You are a body, you are a person, yet you are transcendent. And once you have this, you are on safe ground. All your old memories and all traumas means nothing to you. You have now harmonized the old and the new and the transcendent within you. Yeah. You have yeah, you have joined the links together. Yeah. No longer will you say, Oh, I did some stupid things in my life. No, you will see them as, oh, well, I learned from them. Yes. Yeah. And in a way, I think that in our life, we have many different lives, just like we probably had many different past lives. So just like in this life, we wouldn't beat ourselves up about something we did in a past life because we don't even know what it is. We can forget it and let it go when we do something wrong in this life. Oh, yes. In fact, like you're saying, we recreate ourselves and this is done actually on a daily basis. You know, in uh, Buddhism and Vedanta also we say, you don't step into the same river twice. So, you are seeing that river, but it's not the same river. It has changed. So, we see ourselves as unchanging. No. We have changed. And this is what is called in Vedanta, it's called Nitya Pralaya, daily dissolution. And you rise up, wake up in the morning, a fresh you, a new you. And you have the old memories, but they are not actually defining you. Hmm. Yeah. You can you can now make yourself slowly and slowly and slowly. If yeah. this is understood, yes. The you know, the human being has great powers. It's the human being is considered weak, etc. etc. No, the jiva, the individual soul has tremendous powers. You know, uh, Holy Mother says, uh, you know, these humans now they become very smart. They could even photograph an avatar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so coming full circle then, will our spiritual practice help us to have that? sharp memory like Vivekananda had, like Ramakrishna had and stuff? Or did they have it because they were already spiritually evolved? No. It, uh, this memory also depends on the quality of your mind. When you are sattvic, you have all these memories which are indestructible. But having a good memory is not essential for spiritual life. What is Essential spiritual life is you're remaking yourself into a spiritual entity. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, in my case, my guru used to, you know, recite long passages from memory. And I I said, what's this? Yeah. Now, then I understood, yeah, reciting long pieces of memory is not just important because nowadays we have computers and laptops and you have 
everything and I want to know something <laughs> exactly exactly so i won't spend my mental energy trying to memorize something which i can have anywhere anytime yeah I'll let go the, the whole thing is once i understand the dynamics of memory i'm going to become my own master yeah that is what it is yeah, yeah. that's amazing that's beautiful yeah, that's amazing um, does anyone have any questions, Rai or Mitraji or Marcia? I don't know if Nandita is still on. Anybody yeah. have any questions before we wrap it up? I do. Mm -hmm. I have a question. What happens to memory? With, I mean, Alzheimer's yeah. and dementia. How does that, where does that fit into the memory scheme? It's like, yeah. Suppose you have a piano, okay, and you have been playing this piano for years and years and years. And as you keep on playing, that piano becomes old, and all those bars and all those you can say wires are broken. So the instrument gets broken, but you know the music. So in Vedanta, it is said the instrument through which you can bring out the music is disabled, Alzheimer's or dementia. But the music is in your mind. So there's a distinction between brain and mind, Vedanta says. So you may not have a perfect instrument because of something or something organic that has happened in the brain. But all those memories are intact. They will have to be intact. So now then you say, okay, but then the brain, yeah. Nowadays they're talking of something about the extended mind. That the brain does not contain all of the mind. The, the microbiome, the gut bacteria also influence the brain. Not only that, the skin is considered a second brain. There's something called an extended mind. You feel certain things. So the idea that the mind was confined only to the brain is now being removed off. Recent studies have also shown that when I interact with other people, the other people and their consciousness also is necessary to explain my consciousness. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, amazing research. Yes. So they're talking about like they're talking about the extended mind. So the mind extends across the body. Yeah. Away and from the, the heart, like the heart is a brain. Yes. The heart thinks. Yes. So yes. even exactly. people, you know, you might not recognize someone or know their name but you have that feeling you know that exactly you know? exactly like you, you see alzheimer's patients suppose a woman has alzheimer's and she sees a old old husband a husband okay she can't remember the name and all the personal memories but when the husband touches that his wife there is a sense of recognition. If that old memories weren't there somewhere, there wouldn't be any 
recognition at all. She knows that this this person is my husband, but she cannot have specific individual memories of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why they say that yeah, keep keep healthy, eat healthy, and and if some memories are going away, let it go. That's a process of memory and the brain and the dysfunction of the brain will not harm old memories right because and then when whenever the body falls off the yes. memories go with the subtle body exactly they will go in this so they're not it's not like the memories are lost and gone forever they go oh, yeah. with the subtle body oh. and and that's all part of the karma for the next life or whatever yes because even in even in coma patients you say the body is completely in a coma but that person inside is aware and now this has given rise to a lot of ethical questions the questions of you know assisted suicide mm. now can that person can another person decide for this person because this person is conscious how do you know and they found like if the person was a ten, was a, a tennis player they say how are you feeling if you are feeling good imagine you are hitting the tennis ball with your racket and if it is i'm feeling bad imagine you're trying to hit the ball and you miss it while they were scanning that person's brain and they found certain areas of the brain light up when they said yes and certain areas of the brain light up when they said no so that person inside is conscious only that person is imprisoned in a broken body mm-hmm. that is what happens that's fascinating that's a very fascinating wow very fascinating. this has been an amazing class thank you so much for all your wisdom Welcome. I hope we can all remember all this now. <laughs> well, now we have we we can have it on the YouTube and you uh, the archive, and we can watch it again and again and watch again. It again. <laughs> <laughs> we can memorize it if we want to, right? Yeah. yeah, that's good. I'll definitely put it up on YouTube. Would you um, please do a chant for us to chant us out to close this yes. up? ஸ்மரிங்ஸ்மரிங்ஸ்மரிங்ஸ்மரிங்ஸ்மரிங்ஸ்மரிங்ஸ்மரிங்ஸ்மரிங்ஸ்மரிங்ஸ்மரிங்